0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and if you would stand with me as I read, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also be believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession the praise of his glory. You can have a seat. Well, I almost feel like it could stop. but I'm not going to. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I just read, verses 3 through 14, is One long sentence in the Greek. It's one of the longest in the New Testament. And Paul begins his sentence with the word blessed or blessed. Elagitas in the Greek. Blessed, praised. The root word means adorable. Adorable. It's a biblical and ecclesiastical word. It's a benedictus. Meaning to thank or invoke praise, invoke a blessing. Eight times it's used in the New Testament, applied to God. One of those examples is Zacharias. You remember the priest, father of John the Baptist? Because he didn't believe, his mouth was shut. But once his tongue was loosed, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, he said this, actually for 68, Blessed, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us in accomplished redemption for his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And again in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul, with this use of blessed, this single word, he calls the attention of his readers to the exclusivity and the uniqueness, the otherness of God. For God alone is blessed. He's the blessed one, the adored one, from all time and eternity. God is adored. God declares himself to be the one and only true and living God. Just one God. One God who is true. One God who is living. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, God speaking, See now that I am he. There is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded. And it is I who heal. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is none else. Verse 21 of Isaiah 45. Who announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. And then this verse 22. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Do you know what God is saying there? Salvation is in no one else. In God alone. The notion carries over to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, where Paul says, I am God. Or he repeats that. There There is no God but one. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In the 25th, or 25th verse of Jude, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen. So based on the biblical testimony that I just read, these verses... Ne- <laughs> It's a small sample. There is only one reasonable conclusion. There is only one true God. One true and living God. The creator. The triune God. God is the blessed one. The adored one. God is adored within the Godhead. Within the trinity. The eternal Intra-Trinitarian adoration and love within the Godhead is blessed. Does this sound odd to you, that God loves himself? That he loves himself more than any created thing? Does that sound odd? Well, it would be odd if you said that, or if I said that. Not God. Because it would be idolatry, wouldn't it, if he loved Anything more than himself. How do I know that? God has supreme adoration and love for himself within the Trinity. John chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus speaking, for the Father loves the Son. John chapter 14, verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. The Father loves the the Son, and the Son loves the Father. God delights in himself. Isaiah 42, speaking of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. God is pleased with himself. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, again speaking of Christ, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. So we see, within the Trinity, God is blessed; He's adored. He supremely loves the Godhead. He delights in Himself, and He is pleased in Himself. And God is blessed, adored among and above all the host of heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 5 with me, verse 11. It says this, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, and saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Again, in Revelation chapter 7, all the angels were standing around the throne. We're getting a, a, a glimpse into a heavenly scene here in this chapter of, seventh chapter of Revelation. All the angels are standing around the throne, "...around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be to our God, forever and ever. Amen." That language I just read to you in Revelation 5, and then again in Revelation 7, 5 is referencing the Lamb, 7 is referencing the Father, but the language is the same same praise Psalm 148 verse 2 praise him praise him all his angels praise him all his hosts of heaven God is blessed he's adored by all nations and peoples Revelation 5 again in verse 9 and they sang a new song worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Revelation 7, verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice saying Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is adored in the heavenly host, among the angels. God is blessed, He's adored by all creation. Revelation five thirteen. And every created thing, every created thing. I love that notion. God created everything, right? Every molecule. And he is sovereign over all of his creation. There's not a rogue molecule in creation. Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him, Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. All of creation adores God. Psalm 148, again, verses 3 through 10. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all the stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. And he has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Sea monsters and all the deeps. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind. Fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and cattle. Creeping things and winged fowl. You can just, the psalmist, is just, he's getting carried away. God is worthy of praise. And he is the adored one. Do you believe that? I have a family member who does not believe that. She believes in polarity. Mother Earth, Lemurians, New Age. She reminds me of Paul's account in Romans 1, where they traded off the glory of the Creator and began to worship the creature, not the Creator, who is blessed forever, adored. Paul is literally adoring God when he says blessed. Why? What's moving him? What's moving the apostle to this proclamation of adoration to God? Back to Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessing, adoring God the Father for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's blessing God for Christ. Praising God for the new covenant in Christ. Now, Paul, as we talked about a little bit last week, known as Saul. I mean, he knew the old covenant, the God of the old covenant. He knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew all too well, having been trained and educated from his youth by Gamaliel. I mean, he was educated. All about God the God of the Old Covenant, of the laws and the traditions. Now Saul, with his new heart and his new name, knows the God of the New Covenant. He knows the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, who has given him new life and brought him into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For this, he blesses, he adores God, because God has revealed his mystery of redemption to Paul. and to the saints who are faithful. Remember we talked about that last week. Peter gets it. Look at First Peter chapter one, verse three. three through five. Blessed. So, last week we mentioned about the Believer's Bank, the Christian's Checkbook. Are you beginning to get a sense of the vastness of the riches that belong to us? In this epistle, really pointing it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He's blessed us. Another reason why Paul blesses God is because God has blessed us. He's blessed the saints. One man said this, the blessing of God, even the Father, has fallen from all eternity upon all who are in Christ. And that in the most copious manner. In other words, abundant. For the one blessing includes all spiritual blessings. This is a very pleasant thing to me because there can be no blessing." like that of God whom God blesses is blessed God has blessed us his saints his holy ones his own people the chosen and what is this blessing of God which is reserved for the saints only for his chosen people what is God's greatest blessing to us his saints If I took a poll right now, we'd probably get some different answers. But I'm going to answer it. It's Christ. Christ is our greatest blessing. Christ is the blessing of God to man. Matthew chapter 1. The angel Gabriel talking to Joseph, who was about to put Mary away because she was pregnant before they got married. He was feeling shame. But before he put her away, God interceded. God sent Gabriel. And Gabriel said this, Matthew 121, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ is our greatest blessing because he saves us. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We're lost apart from Christ. Christ is our greatest blessing because he has come to seek and to save the lost. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ is our greatest blessing because I'm a sinner. So are you. We need Christ. We need him to save us. 1 John 4, verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested, made known in us, that God has sent his only son, his only begotten son, into the world so that we might live through him. Christ is our greatest blessing because he brings life to us. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. In this, verse 10 of 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That sacrifice that God accepted, the pleasing sacrifice. Christ is our greatest blessing. Christ, our greatest blessing from God, invokes our greatest blessing to God. We know Christ. We thank God, right? Back to Ephesians 1: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ." Here's another quote. The manner or sphere of this enrichment is in Christ. The place of these blessings is in the heavenly realms, as opposed to the earthly realm of the Ephesian goddess Artemis, or also known as Diana. Thus, these blessings are spiritual, not material, heavenly, not earthly, eternal, not temporal. Listen, the Christian, the Ephesian Christian, would have had to have been reminded of this, just like we are, needing that reminder they lived in the, in the shadow of this temple that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world this temple to this goddess and people would come from all over to attend and, and to visit this temple it was impressive it was opulent it was big and it was influential so here's what Paul says in first Second Corinthians chapter four verse eighteen. I'll take a drink while you're turning there. Second Corinthians four eighteen. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What a disappointment for the Ephesian, um, Well, they wouldn't be believers, but I've never been to Ephesus, but I'm guessing if there's anything left, it's ruins of this temple. Temporal. No matter how impressive today, it's temporal. We look at the things that are not seen, well, how did that happen? How did our eyes get opened? Who did that? Matthew 13, 16, Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. The source of the believer's blessing is from God, spiritual, from the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual blessings. And they are in the heavenly places. Their source, the source of our spiritual blessings is not from material from the material earthly realm five times in this epistle paul uses the word in the heavenly places twice in chapter 1 verse 3 and 20 once in chapter 2 verse 6 once in chapter 3 verse 10 and once in chapter 6 verse 12 so you can understand The emphasis is on the spiritual gifts in the heavenly places. We do not want to miss that, brothers and sisters. The source of God's blessing is from heaven, not from earth. He can use means, but it's not the source. Paul tells us much about God's heavenly blessings for believers. His blessings are from eternity past. And I love the theme. The Holy Spirit superintends the worship service. But Sunday school this morning, we are talking about this point. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian here this morning, God wrote your name in his book before he created His decree is that you know him. It's his work. I love this quote. I've shared it, not from the pulpit, but before with others. By Gerhardus Vos. He was a 19th century Dutch theologian, American theologian as well. Listen to this. The best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never (laughs) Began. <laughs> I see question marks. The best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. One of the attributes of God is he's eternal. We're finite. We have to have a start and a finish. Not God. That's one of his... Definers. He's eternal. And Gerhardos Vos based this statement on Jeremiah 31, 3. God speaking of his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. And the Bible is replete about this understanding. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. 2 Timothy 1.9. Paul picks this same thinking up. God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That is staggering. That is amazing. God's blessing of his eternal call and his his eternal decree, worthy of our adoration. His blessing of holiness. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy. Holy. Hagios. The saints, the holy ones, have been connected to God in holiness. We talked about that last week. We're connected To God in holiness. And whereby making us holy like Him, and because He has made us holy, we have entered into the intra Trinitarian eternal worship session with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which has existed from eternity past. Think about that. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ in God. I think the, the best text to support that notion that right now we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ is in John 17. So I'm going to ask you to turn to John 17. And we're going to read verses 19 through 26. I'm going to read it, but I really want you to read along with me. But let the Bible, let God's word do the heavy lifting. As many of you know, this is the high priestly prayer of Christ. This is a conversation that God in his mercy has let us get in on. But this is a conversation between Christ and his father. A prayer, a petition, a worship. For their sakes, verse 19, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Remember, Jesus is petitioning, talking to his Father. But for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me, Where I am, so they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Brothers and sisters, we're in the heavenlies. We are seated in the heavenlies in Christ in a holy place by His work, by His decision, His decree, His desire. We're His. And He paid a high price, right? The precious blood of the Lamb. God designed that we be with him. As saints, we have been united with Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies, and brought to the holy, intra-Trinitarian eternal worship session. We are brought in. We're not God. We're with God. That has got to be clear. No one's confused on that point, right? We're not God. We're with God because of God. We are in this worship session, and we should live our lives in that truth. We should look different. We do look different. We have to look different, not because we're making that decision, because we wouldn't. God made that decision, and we evidence his work the work of his holy spirit by a changed life look at 1 peter chapter 1 verse 14 as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance but like the holy one who called you be holy Yourselves and all your behavior. Because it is written. You shall be holy for I am holy. Now that may sound like an instruction or even a command. You shall be holy for I am holy. But let me suggest to you. It's more of a promise. It's a covenant promise of God. That we would be holy as he is holy. Ezekiel 36, familiar verses. Verse 26, I'll take out the stone, the rock, out of your chest. That rock-hard heart that would not beat for me, would not have feeling for me, would not love me. I'm taking it out, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, tender. A heart that is engaged. And then verse 27, God speaking, his covenant promise I will cause you to walk in my way and keep all my commandments you shall be holy for I am holy that is God's promise to his people so what kind of lives should we live what should we, what should we be looking for what should mark our lives turn to Colossians chapter 3 please in verse 12 so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, so we know who Paul's talking about here, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so there's a the standard so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's a very good description. <laughs> very good. That's a biblical description of a Christian life. God made us holy. We cannot bear grudges We cannot be unforgiving. And if that's our practice, all of us, listen, all of us face that trial and that test. But if that's our practice, we need to do some serious soul searching. Because a a Christian is Christ-like. God has called us to holiness. And here's the wonderful, listen, I don't want to lay a burden. We all sin. But if we confess our sin, say the same thing God does, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, reestablishing the fellowship. Our lives should look like Colossians 3, 12 through 15, and many other verses. In fact, Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, From every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works Christian life these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority Titus was in a position of leadership in the church here's his marching orders We don't want to shy away from these things. We want to run to them. We have new life in Christ. A verse that God used in my life is in Romans 12. At a critical time in my life, I love my brother Micah. as That was his age. When the Lord turned my life around. I'm 67 now, so you can do the math. It's been a long time. I love Christ more today than I did yesterday. I adore him. For what he's done. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. In verse 2 do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think different. And I'll tell you, at 18, um, that hit me like a freight train by God's grace. So my mind has been renewed. We know God through a book, we know Him through a book, we know Him through His Word. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does it mean to be blameless? It's the Greek word amamos, without blame. Without blemish, without fault, without spot. Faultless, unblameable unblemished, literally or figuratively. No blame. This is the work of God and God alone. He can declare someone blameless. And the one whom he has declared blameless is the blameless one, Jesus Christ. Along with Christ, all the saints who are in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. If you're in Christ... You're blameless. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus listen the day of our Lord Jesus is a glorious day that we look forward to but is it it's a day of terror sheer terror to those who are not blameless because if you stand before God and you're not blameless your offense is against a holy God. One of his attributes is he's eternal. Your sin is against an eternal God and you will pay for it eternally. As long as God lives, you're paying for it. And he's not going anywhere. But we can be blameless in Christ and are. That's our position. We're blameless. Blameless in Christ. And to document, if you will, that the blame, our blameless condition is the work of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Jesus Christ has done that work. For that, we adore him. Blessed be his name. Knowing this truth that God has made us blameless in Christ, again, how shall we live? He's made us holy, he's made us blameless. How should we live? What should our daily lives look like? What should be our aim, our target? Again, back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you to his, in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Because God has given his saints the hope of the gospel. We can live our lives because we have the hope of the gospel. What's the first word of the gospel? Repent. The two greatest preachers who ever walked this planet, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, and Jesus said among men born of women, there's no one greater, speaking of John the Baptist. The first word of his public ministry was repent, Matthew 3. Christ himself, repent, Matthew 4. So the hope of the gospel gives us the ability to live the lives God has called us to and which he purposed. We can live those lives, our lives, for his glory and fulfill all his purposes which he purposed in Christ for his glory and our good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above uh, reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So we hold fast to the gospel and we hold fast to the word of life, the scriptures. quick comment how important is the Bible I think the vast majority of us here this morning would say it's extreme it's extremely important but if you were to look at time spent in the word just in the last five days would it say the same thing God help us it's the word of God that gives us, that strengthens our faith. Brings assurance. And gives us strength to walk in the light as he is in the light. We hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the gospel. Second Peter 3. Verse 13. But according to his promise, We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Blessed be God. Blessed be those who are blessed by God. Blessed are his saints who are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. May we bless God. May we adore him. Have you ever thought about adoring God? Do you adore him? Do you look at him and just say, Lord, I love you. You have rescued my soul. You created me and then saved me. And by your own Blessedness wrote my name in your book. You didn't have to do that. I'm a sinner. God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. What do you? To adore the Lord. Adore him. Love him. Serve him. Honor him. Spend time with him. Don't you want to be with those who you love and adore? God, help us. Help us. May we bless God, adore him in the beauty of holiness and truth. May we live our lives on this earth enjoying all our spiritual blessings with our minds in the heavenly places in Christ. I've heard this quote many times, but I love it. What began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present and will continue for all eternity that's our destiny if you're a Christian here this morning if you love Christ our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform this lowly body to be like his glorious one Satisfaction's coming The psalmist said in Psalm 1715, I'll finally be satisfied when I see his face. Not hungry, not thirsty, not anxious. Satisfied for the first time in your existence when you see Christ. And that is our destiny. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your grace, for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ our Lord, by your own purpose, your own decree, your own by according to your own pleasure, your own plan, what you decided, Lord, we live. We live and we move and we have our being in Christ. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the assembly of the saints for we can worship God, adore God for all the blessings we have. Make us mindful, God. Cleanse our hearts of sin. Grant us repentance. May we love the way you love. Worship the way you worship. For this is why the gospel was preached, that we might live in the spirit the way God does. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.